To love learning. To laugh. To love. To be loved. To see beauty. To understand. To bring grace. To the things that matter most. This is Psychology America with Dr. Alexandra. Welcome to my show. For every life stage, we have questions. Let's enhance our lives together as we explore the things that matter most. This episode is dedicated to Ginny's House. Ginny's House Children's Advocacy Center helps abused children local to me for free. And I mean no hassle for free. To learn more, go to Ginny'sHouse.org. Some people in this world are sensitive to emotions, and I would say too sensitive. They would feel like they're too sensitive. And studies have shown that these folks notice and read emotions faster than others, and particularly negative emotions. It's like they pick it up at superhuman speed and then react to it. And in addition... The same subset of people tend to be very reactive. Think about flare-ups, lots of flare-ups. More than most people and too much for the situation. And it hurts. It hurts themselves. It hurts the people around them. And lastly, for these folks, it can take a long time to recover from the flare-up. So something goes wrong and boy, does it take a long time to recover They're stuck in the pain of their emotions for a long time and they have trouble getting back to baseline. And I think we all know a time in our own lives when we ourselves had trouble getting back to baseline. Something upset us and we have to recover. But what I just described is the regular experience of those with borderline personality disorder. That is those with untreated borderline personality disorder because you can treat it and you can treat these symptoms which show up in other disorders. And dialectical behavior therapy or DBT was created originally by a woman named Marsha Linehan starting in the 80s. She started doing this work. Originally, it was to help suicidal women with borderline personality disorder, right? Yes. But now DBT is used for a lot more. That is why I love using DBT and the core concepts of what DBT entails because it's helped a variety of people. It's helped people with anxiety. It has helped people with depression. It has helped people with just people go through things in terms of adjustment disorders and emotional flare-ups take place there. And the education that DBT can provide them um, provides them with not only a sense of relief, but also a sense of control within their world again. Absolutely, because think about people with emotional flare. I mean, emotional flare-ups are what lead people to binge drink, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And DBT has helped those with substance problems, for one. Especially referring back to borderline personality disorder, it's very common for them to experience filtering within the mind. And what I mean by that is that they look for evidence to help support and validate and sometimes justify how they're feeling, even if it's a negative experience or reaction. They filter out any evidence of 
something that could have calmed them down. They filter that out. Yes. Right. And they're doing that essentially to protect themselves. So when working with them, I try to first join in on their world. And I try to say, I understand why you're doing what you're doing. This is to help protect you. Because a lot of times when they react to Mm -hmm. something and it is a negative reaction, they can feel, they may not feel good about that. They could Mm -hmm. feel a sense of shame or a sense of guilt or embarrassment. And what they're doing is they're trying to protect themselves for having felt that. And so they continuously look for the evidence to validate. To justify the flare-up. Yes. Right? Even if it's a like, negative There has experience. to be a reason for this. <laughs> this is why okay. I did what I did. Right. Even if it's a negative experience or a negative reaction. We are talking to Brittany Wool, who is an expert in dialectical behavior therapy, DBT, and has been running groups for DBT at Live Well Psychology Center in Sparta for years now. And thank you for being with us today, yes. Brittany. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. Oh, it's a delight. So I'm grateful that you are going to help many, many people with how to deal with their emotions. I think a lot of people want to learn. And the example that you were just giving made me think of a couple that they love each other very much, but both of them have flare-ups mm-hmm. and both of them have trouble recovering from the flare-up. It takes a long time. And... What you were just talking about with joining in Mm -hmm. with the patient Mm -hmm. is something that Marsha Linehan, the founder, originally realized was necessary Mm -hmm. because she found that people were not responding well to therapy because they did not feel understood. Mm -hmm. And the therapist, the well-meaning therapists, were using cognitive behavior therapy to try to make changes. Right. And they were getting angry, like, whoa, why are you trying to change this? You don't hear me. Mm -hmm. So she tried to bring in actually some things from the Eastern religions, including mindfulness, to bring in an acceptance component, Mm -hmm. not only to the patient, but to the therapist. Yes. Um, Along with the change component. So there's the quiet acceptance part, Mm -hmm. then there's the change part. And that's how the word dialectical came up because this has to do with opposites. Yes. And bringing balance to that and allowing two, sometimes two things to exist at one time in terms of thinking dialectically and feeling dialectically, we are allowed to feel two extremes at one time and that's okay. Um, An example of that would be feeling very angry with a spouse or a significant other, whoever, a friend, whoever that is, but also knowing that you still love them. So it's pairing the two together. Together, so we don't have to feel like it needs to be one extreme or the next. We're we're trying to, through this therapy, become comfortable with allowing two extremes to coexist and see how people can adjust to that and feel. What are the four components, the four core components of DBT? The first one is mindfulness. I truly believe that mindfulness is the heart of all of the other three components. Um, and within each other component, mindfulness is a huge, huge piece of that. So there is mindfulness, there is interpersonal effectiveness. So that is either obtaining relationships with others or finding ways to maintain relationships with others. There is emotional regulation. So it's just finding ways 
to maintain and regulate our emotional state. That's huge. There's distress tolerance, which is finding ways to essentially survive what feels very uncomfortable and being able to tolerate that. And those are our four, four components. So one of the things I love about DBT, one of the skills that's taught is called opposite action. Yes. Which category does that one fall under? That would fall under emotion regulation. Okay. Can we talk about that first? I love that one. That one's one of my favorites. So before going into opposite action, we first need to identify the action urge. Okay. So what that is, I I actually have an example. I'm working with a middle schooler right now. Okay. Very sweet, but going through going through some difficult times with friends. Yeah. Um, there seems to be a lot of alienation there. Uh, she's been getting left out a lot. And so we worked through this skill to help try to empower her and recognize where her control is. So there was an example she gave where she was in school and there were a bunch of girls who were looking at her and laughing, whispering, talking about her. And I said, okay, well, what is initially, what is your action urge is what they call it. Mm -hmm. And she said, what do you mean by that? And I said, initially, if this is happening to you, what is it that you're feeling and thinking? Mm -hmm. And she goes, well, at first I wanted to give them a dirty look. I said, okay, what else is there for you? Well... I envisioned hitting them. Nothing that I would ever do, but it's something that I imagined. Or she said that she would talk about them to other friends. That was so honest. That was great. Yes. She was very vulnerable, but very honest with me. And I so appreciated that. And she made it known that these are things that I think about, but don't necessarily want to act on. Mm Mm-hmm. So we identified her action urge, and then we came up with an opposite action. And so then she came up with, okay, instead of being angry towards them and giving them a dirty look, what else can I do? So there are many different examples of what opposite action could be and how you could practice that. But one for her was instead of giving them a dirty look, being kind to them by smiling at them. Or instead of engaging in anything negative, she would choose to maybe walk away and ignore them. So it's always situational. It'll always be dependent on what's going on. But she chose to engage in some of those opposite actions to help Mm -hmm. get her out of, within DBT, what they would call your emotion mind. That brings a lot of flexibility too. More flexibility to the options, which is really good. So instead of her staying what's known as her emotion mind, which Mm -hmm. it's a state of mind within DBT, you're very, very, everything's very impulsive there. It's very mood dependent. You you feel something and so you act on it. And um, there's a lot there that feels very intense, of course. And so we're wanting to pull her out of her emotion mind and bring her into a more balanced state of mind. Um, and through opposite action and through practicing that, she was able to do that. She felt empowered knowing that she had some control there and she was no longer engaging in her action urge mm-hmm. because because that was further validating 
and solidifying why she was so angry. It probably was. The dirty looks, the talking behind their back just continued. Yeah. So it helped. It. It, engaging in opposite action helped her break that cycle and yeah. helped her um, pull her out of her emotion mind and feel more balanced, more centered, and more in control. There's so much in psychology that we need to do where we go straight into the pain, mm-hmm. right? Rather than avoid it. And certainly anyone who's afraid to cross a bridge, you know what they need to practice in their minds and then in reality. Yes. And, you know, evolutionarily speaking, I always share this with clients that fleeing and avoidant behaviors come very naturally to us. It's very instinctual that that is the first thing that we're wanting to do. It's a way in which we protect ourselves. Yeah. And I love normalizing that experience for clients because instead of them wondering why they're doing what they're doing, I help them try to gain some type of self-compassion and understanding of this is within our nature. And so a lot of the concepts, not only within DBT, but what I practice in general with my clients, it's very counterintuitive and it goes against the grain of what they're used to. Um, A lot of what I push them to do is extremely uncomfortable for them. Sounds like good work, Brittany. Yeah. (laughs) What's another core component? What else can you share about DBT skills with myself and with listeners? There is a concept called effective rethinking. Okay. Paired with relaxation. Okay. And that one I absolutely love because it helps bring more objectivity to clients and their thought process. Can you give an example? Sure. So this one's called effective rethinking paired with relaxation. Okay. And the first step in this process is to identify the stressful prompting event, whatever that is for someone. I was initially working with a client who was struggling with work, specifically her boss. Okay. Her boss was causing her a lot of distress. She felt like her boss was being very insensitive to her and to her needs. So that was her stressful prompting okay. event. So what, like anytime she's around a boss, that's a prompting event? Not necessarily when she was around her, but just what the boss was doing. Okay. She felt like her boss was not giving her the hours that she needed and or deserved and so forth. And so she was becoming very upset about that. Yeah. So the second step is to ask yourself, well, what am I telling myself about this stressful event? What are my interpretations? What are my thoughts or assumptions about what is going on that's kind of adding to the distress? When working with clients, I always try, especially with a skill like this, I always try to rate it on a SUD scale. So that's a, a subjective units of distress scale. Okay. And she started telling me about what she felt and what her interpretations were. And she was saying things like, my boss doesn't care about me. She's so insensitive. She's not hearing what I'm saying when I come to her and I share my concerns. Um, And I was having her rate her scale. And I said, well, when you're thinking, you know, when these are your interpretations, these are your thoughts related to the event, where is your SUD scale? And I have them rate it on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the most distressing. Right. 
And she said, oh, well, it's about a seven or eight. And then the second step is to try to come up with, this is the part where you're challenging them to step outside of their world and again, gain more objectivity. Right. So I had her come up with as many effective statements, effective or productive statements as she could to counter a lot of the initial interpretations or assumptions she had about her boss. Okay. And she was saying, well, maybe the boss has a lot going on. Mm-hmm. This is, of course, still during the pandemic. So there was a lot of there was a lot of stress there that the boss was under. Yeah. So she helped pull herself out of it and say, okay, well, it's not it's nothing personal. It's not me. It's just what she has going on in general. So she had those sentences ready to use or to tell herself. Yes, to help counter what was causing her more distress, what was raising her sud scale initially. Right. And so she was able to counter that with something more productive and effective. And I said, well, how, if you were to rate your sud scale now and repeat to me what you just chose to restructure for yourself, where do you fall? And she goes, maybe a four or five. Oh, so it helped just to come up with those. But that sounds um, like the CBT part. That sounds like cognitive behavioral therapy. Was there a relaxation part paired? Yes. Okay. Yes. So once she was able to come up with more effective self-statements to say to herself, she was able to rate her SUD scale. Her SUD scale went down. Right. And then you pair that with your new statement. You pair with saying, so relax. And oh. it allows it allows <laughs> you to feel like there's a little bit more control there. And not necessarily saying that she was able to get completely out of her emotion mind, but she was able to lower the intensity of what that distress felt like for I her. I love that. It's so simple. It's so simple, but it's effective. And it allows for, you know, when we're going through something, especially thoughts, feelings, and emotions, they're very abstract within the mind. And they're not as easily measurable. But through doing an exercise like this, you can recognize my sud scale was here. I was able to change my inner dialogue, come up with something more effective. Now my sud scale is on the lower end. And then pairing that with so relax is just a nice little mantra to, again, feel more in control. And there's more objectivity there for her, too. It allows her to bring more balance to her inner world. So the married couple that I mentioned that have, they both have a lot of emotional flare-ups, one frequent point of argument is when he wants to go visit his cousins in New York City. Well, years ago, he made a mistake by sharing too much about their fights, right? And forgetting to share all the good times. Okay. And so the cousins are left with, we don't like her, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. People do that all the time, don't they? Yes. So she doesn't feel comfortable when he goes to visit his cousins, but he loves his cousins and he doesn't have a big family and that's Mm -hmm. who he gets to see. Mm -hmm. So you would suggest to her that she might say to herself when he goes there, he loves his cousins and we're doing fine. 
So relaxed. So relaxed. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And again, it's another way for anyone doing this exercise to feel more empowered. They don't have to feel victim to having these automatic thoughts and feelings that they feel like they just have no control over. Um, it allows them to look inwardly and do the work, which is, it, it's not easy to do, especially when something negative is coming to you so automatically. Um, but it's there for all of us to make that choice. I think to... it's enough to take away the edge. There's another one that's similar, isn't it? When people say, oh, well, I think it's a DBT skill where something that would normally get them upset. So I have a patient that gets upset about um, the way his wife randomly puts stuff in the dishwasher. Mm-hmm. He has a system. <laughs> she does not. And he, he just doesn't <laughs> understand it. Yeah. Right? Of course. So his frustration. <laughs> he does not understand that. And it doesn't change. They've talked about it. He's given the feedback. He's shown her how he thinks this would just make so much sense. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, she is what, what she is. Yes. She is what she is. And right. she just puts it wherever. And it might take two loads versus one. And he could say, oh, she did it again. <laughs> but she's so awesome at everything else. Oh, well. Yes. <laughs> And that's very similar to (laughs) within DBT, there's a concept called radical acceptance. And it sounds like that's a part of it too. Instead of um, fighting against what you want to happen, it is just accepting and acknowledging reality as it is. There are some things that do not change. Right. And people lose a lot of energy just fighting things that don't change. Mm Mm-hmm. And then in terms of the, oh, well, um, it sounds very similar to a concept called detached mindfulness. Okay. What what component is that under? So that would be mindfulness. Under the the mindfulness component. Okay. So what's that? I love this one because there's such simplicity to it. In, in a certain sense where you can just detach yourself from the meaning of a situation or an event by giving it less time and less attention. Um, you detach yourself from the meaning in the sense of instead of questioning why it's not going the way that you want it to go, it is truly accepting that this is the way that it is now. And so you detach yourself from the meaning of it. And through doing that, it could be a very freeing effect within the mind as well as the body that you no longer have to fight this. You've for- It's almost like forming a different relationship with a stressor. And that doesn't sound so easy to do. How could you just lop off the meaning that you think it is? Do you have a specific skill that helps people do that? Well, it's a skill called detached mindfulness. And typically what happens is over time and through practice, you can have the same situation, but a very different inner experience through recognizing initially how much power and how much meaning we gave the experience to begin with. Going back to your couple and the dishwasher and that whole fiasco and how frustrating that could be for him. That was because he was, we have to look inwardly first as to what's happening, what's going on. And it seems like he was giving that 
situation or that incident a lot of power in the sense of he kept revisiting it in the mind. Yeah, I think he felt she doesn't care. Mm -hmm. She doesn't listen. She doesn't care about my feelings. And maybe does she really love me could be a a very irrational thought. Right. But um, of course, when you're experiencing it, it feels so real to you. Uh, But it just goes to show how much power he was giving that situation by how much he was revisiting it and the ways in which he was revisiting it. And so with the power and with the concept of detached mindfulness, it's forming a very different relationship with that experience and saying, this is her way of doing it. It's different than mine, but that's okay. Or at the end of the day, the dishes get done and they get put away. Or she is what she is. Right. Which, yes, which goes back to the radical acceptance piece of not being able to change them. So it allows you, again, to feel like there's a different sense of control there and that we have a choice. It could be, again, the same situation, but a different uh, different meaning that we give the situation to help free us. That takes a lot of conscious, deliberate decision to try to reframe things like that, Mm -hmm. I think. Yes. And before, that's why I love working with clients in terms of a step-by-step process before changing how we're acting or reacting. Let's first understand the whys underneath it to help just soften their experience a little bit and help them make sense of it. So there are three states of mind within DBT. Okay. There's the emotion mind, which we've talked a little bit about. It's very, very intense. It's very impulsive very mood dependent. You are acting before thinking within this mind. It is very extreme. And on the other side of that, there's something called your reasonable mind, which lacks emotion. It's very factual. It's very logistic. It's very analytical. And you combine those two worlds together to enter into what they call your wise mind. So when working within DBT, this is a mind that we are trying to gravitate more to. It's where we're feeling more calm, more balanced, more centered, more in control. Yes. Don't we all want that? Yes. In an ideal world, right? And sometimes I tell clients that you can still feel a sense of of anger and, and be in your wise mind. Because again, we're human and emotions aren't just a switch that we can turn on and off, but we are trying to lessen the intensity of certain emotions where you feel like you can feel it, you can identify with it, but you can still feel a sense of control. Yeah, that reminds me, um, I, I love acceptance and commitment therapy and there's mm-hmm. a lot of overlap here with Um, You have the emotion and the thoughts and you recognize it. Now, particularly with ACT, you don't tell those emotions to go away. Mm -hmm. Yet, Mm -hmm. you behave the way you want to behave because thoughts are just thoughts and emotions are just emotions. Mm -hmm. And that's very similar within DBT in the sense of we are just trying to get more in touch with how we're feeling. Um, there, there are certain how skills within mindfulness and certain what skills within mindfulness. And it's what do we need to do to become more mindful within our world? And those skills require observing, describing, and participating. So okay. what we are trying to do is first, in terms of observing, okay. we are just trying to notice how we're feeling. 
not put a name to it initially. And we're trying to notice our inner world. And what I mean by that within DBT is what consists of our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, and our physical sensations that we feel within the body. I'm glad they bring in that too, Mm -hmm. because the body holds so much. So when they're in a situation, step one, Notice your thoughts, your feelings, and your bodily emotions. Yes. First, just notice it for yourself and recognize recognize what's there and try to make sense of it for yourself. So once you first, once you have that understanding, you can go to your second what skill of describing how you feel. Okay. So I'll give an example of that with people struggling. It could be anxiety, it could be depression, it could be really anything. But if they feel a tightness in their chest, the observing skill is to just notice that tightness in the chest. And then when you go on to your describing skill, it's there's a tightness in the chest. This feels like anxiety to me. Okay. And so it's putting a name to their experience. Right. And I was actually working with a client, 17 years old, struggling with anxiety and depression, but depression being the primary diagnosis. And he initially came to me and he said, I've been, I've been feeling this for so long. I've been doing everything that I can to avoid these feelings. Yeah. Um, There was a lot of discomfort with who he was, with his image, with his worth, some fleeting thoughts of suicidality, and he was doing everything in his power to avoid that and to not feel it. And the work that I did with him was very counterintuitive. And he said initially it was it was very foreign to him. It was very awkward. But we took the time to get comfortable with something that was so uncomfortable to him initially to just feel what it felt like to have that depression and to experience a lot of that anxiety. And he closed in on that gap. And it was very, it was a very courageous experience that he put himself through in the sense of moving towards what was so uncomfortable. What's the next part after noticing and describing? The last what skill is to participate. So it's more so acknowledging how you feel and participating in that moment um, and allowing yourself to just feel no matter what that is. So is that similar to the act thing I was talking about? Mm -hmm. Meaning you might have all these emotions floating around and yet you are going to do something that's aligned with your deepest values or something that nourishes you. So yes, you have all these screaming thoughts. Yes. <laughs> but then you still go and you find your child and you say, let's play. What do you want to play? You get the next 20 minutes and you choose. And it's allowing yourself to have that experience. Um, and then a part of what we worked on as well was more of the house skills. One of them specifically that I absolutely love is non-judgmentally. And it's allowing yourself to recognize your thoughts and feelings without putting any judgment on it. 
Okay. So not coining them as right or wrong or good or bad. It's just allowing them to be there. Just like when I was working with my the 17-year-old who was struggling with depression um, and low self-worth and self-confidence, he finally allowed all of those feelings to come to the surface without feeling like he had to judge the experience. Um, and through that, he recognized that he can survive this and that he it, it, it showed him how capable he was of being able to survive what was so uncomfortable initially. And through mindfulness, he was then able to notice when the depression hit and he was able to catch himself quicker to bring himself back and to pull himself out of that. So it puts the person into the thoughts that observe the thoughts rather than just being in the fishbowl and reacting or avoiding. Yes. They step outside of it and they say, oh, there it is. Now what do I want to do? Mm-hmm. And it was such an amazing transformation to see because he came, he became comfortable with what was once uncomfortable and everything started making sense to him. And it felt, he felt very empowered. What, what, what he once said was very foreign and uncomfortable and awkward to him. Um, he was able to tolerate, he was able to manage. How did his life change after he came to that? You just, you saw it even in his affect that he just, everything seemed brighter. He seemed more hopeful. His confidence went up. Um, He recognized his worth that, you know, this was, this was a journey. This is something that we had been working on for months. And he finally came to this realization that it's okay to feel what I was feeling. It's okay to feel what I was avoiding for so long because it showed him just how capable he was of surviving it and having better days. That's great. What's another core component? Distress tolerance skills I love as well. There's one specifically called the stop skill. Okay. Again, this one goes back to mindfulness a little bit, but there's an acronym for the stop skill. Okay. So the S stands for stop. And they say to literally freeze, don't allow your emotions to take control and to act on that automatically. The T in the stop skill is to take a step back. Mm -hmm. And the O is to, again, observe what's going on within your inner as well as your outer world. And the P is to proceed mindfully. So after taking everything in, it allows you to make different, again, it allows for more objectivity to be able to act more effectively on what it is that you're wanting to do and what it and and on how you are feeling. So the first part is to recognize something has happened in my body. Yes. Yes, being very observant of that mm-hmm. of, you know, go, going back to the mindfulness skills of observing and describing and then pairing that with the how skills of, you know, viewing that non-judgmentally. It allows you to just understand your experience without putting any judgment on it, Mm -hmm. but while also being able to proceed mindfully in a sense of acting effectively on that that feeling or that emotion or, or situation. Another how skill is called effectively. 
This one falls under the how skills of mindfulness, and it is, it's called effectively. Oh, so non-judgmentally is one how to do it. What are all the how skills? Of- so there's three. There's non-judgmentally. Yeah. There's effectively. So meeting the needs of the situation, mm-hmm. um, kind of hitting that pause button and asking, asking yourself, is this worth it? Is this productive? Is this going to be helpful or hurtful? Um, and you can't do that without first hitting the pause button, which is so effective with that stop skill and That's using right. that stop skill. So is it worth it? Is it effective? Is this going to be helpful? Is this going That's to be helpful? That's the effectively one. Mm-hmm. And through the stop skill, you allow yourself the opportunity to ask yourself those questions so you can act more effectively um, and you can feel more in control. And what's the third one? The third one is engaging in something one mindfully. So that is being very present oriented and it is only putting your energy into the task at hand, whatever that is. Um, and they give examples. They, For example, cleaning, cleaning the dishes or doing the dishes. You want to put all of your energy and all of your focus into just that. So what does the water feel like? What is the smell of the soap? What's on the dish? How does my body feel when I'm engaging in this task? It's a great way to develop what they call strong and stable attention skills within the mind. And that help in terms of mindfulness, that helps because once you start trailing off into say, let's say something negative or unproductive, you catch yourself quicker and then you're able to bring yourself back to the task at hand. Okay. I like that. I like those three hows. Have we covered all of the four areas, the four core components of DBT? Or have we touched on them? Yes. There's another one that I wanted to share for those who are dealing with emotions that are extremely overwhelming and intense. Um, This is for when they feel like it's very difficult to get out of their emotion mind and or they're at risk of engaging in some type of dangerous behavior. Oh. And it is, I, I love this skill. It's called, it's a cold water technique. Okay. And you can do this two ways. So you can either fill a bowl with cold water and put your face in the water for 15 (laughs) to 30 seconds (laughs) and, and, or you get a Ziploc bag and you put, you fill it with cold water and you put it over your eyes and on your cheeks. And you hold your breath for 15 to 30 seconds. And what that does is they call it the dive response. So it physiologically changes the chemistry within the body. So everything starts to calm down. So your mind begins to quiet. Your heart rate slows down. Your breathing slows down. And it allows you to pull yourself out of emotion mind within all of 15 to 30 seconds. That is something that we could definitely not do at work, <laughs> right? No, no. <laughs> no, this is something you, during the pandemic, we could all do that from home. And this is for when it's more, this is, I would recommend for more extreme cases where they feel, where they're prone to engage in dangerous behaviors 
suicidality, Mm. very, very intense emotions. I've had clients do this and they come back to me and they say, wow, this this worked. This was very helpful Mm. Um, in the sense of it just, it calms everything down almost immediately, all of within 15 to 30 seconds. Mm. Yeah. DBT, as I mentioned at the beginning, it's a combination of the mindfulness part with the action part. Can you give an example of the action part of DBT? There's something specific within the interpersonal effectiveness component of DBT that I love. And that's more putting it into action. Okay. Um, And it's another acronym and it's called Dear Man. Okay. And it's an effective way of having a conversation and basically asking for what you need from somebody. It's a, it's a way to feel in control and feel empowered in that sense of having the confidence to have a specific conversation. Okay. So it's another acronym. Um, so I'll briefly go over it. Thanks. The D is to for describing the situation. Right. So let's say, for example, you're in an argument with, it could be anyone, a a friend, a family member, a significant other. You're just describing the situation. So you're leaving out any type of assumption or judgment. And I encourage clients to just stick with the facts. It allows for the other person not to feel like they have to to defend themselves in any way because we're trying to be just factual here. The E is to express your emotions and how the situation or experience made you feel. Mm -hmm. And the A is to assert your wishes and what you're wanting from the person. So this is when you come in and you explain how you felt and what you're wanting from that person. The R is to reinforce and or reward the person that you're talking to in the sense of this is what I'm asking for. This is how it will help me feel better and or us feel better. It'll it'll always be dependent on the situation. Mm-hmm. The M is for being mindful of how the conversation is going. So it's recognizing that you came into the conversation with a goal and you want to be very mindful of staying on task and staying on topic and meeting that goal and feeling heard in those ways. Mm -hmm. So if you feel like the conversation is veering one way or another, there are two things that you can do. There's something called the broken record effect. So it's just if you're having a conversation with someone and they're trying to bait you into something else. It's being very mindful that that's happening, but then bringing yourself back and repeating the same thing if necessary, which Mm. they call the broken record technique. That is a technique people use with pushy salespeople Mm -hmm. too. Yes. And so I like that one because again, it, it allows you to feel like there's control over this conversation and you can be a part of that piece of control by just being mindful of where the conversation is going. The A is for just appearing confident while having the conversation, which a lot of people struggle with, especially when ask for trying to assert themselves in certain ways and asking for what they need. And the N is to negotiate with whoever you're talking to, which I love this one too, because it helps bring balance to the conversation and that's it, a good reminder. Mm-hmm. And there is a, a concept called turning the table. So it's expressing your needs and, mm-hmm. and 
your wishes and what you're wanting, but also turning it on them and saying, this is how I feel. What are your suggestions? What are your ideas to how to make this better? Wow. Yes. I mean, I know that DBT, part of the intent is to teach all of these skills to the individual Mm -hmm. and they learn it so well that it might become natural. And Mm -hmm. clinical trials have found that it really works to bring more of a sense of peace Mm -hmm. to many people. I remember with this skill specifically, I worked with a young couple. They had a baby and it, it, it became a little chaotic within their world initially because it was something brand new to them and they were having a hard time negotiating and, and balancing that. And so she came to me with a frustration and we worked through it while applying this dear man skill. And she came back to me and she said it was one of the most productive conversation she's ever had with her husband. So that's so great. It just goes to show it's a little bit of a script, but it goes to show that you can structure out certain difficult conversations in these ways to allow yourself to recognize the that structure it can be. will definitely help a flying away emotion mind. So is there anything else you want to add? to share with listeners before we share how they can find you and what's next with you? While working with clients and applying these DBT skills, I have to say that the mindfulness piece has been extremely helpful and extremely productive to just their overall sense of self. You know, it's through mindfulness, it's an amazing opportunity to connect with yourself And it gives you that opportunity to connect with others in a very different way. Through mindfulness and practicing that and applying that, you recognize just how interconnected we all are. And the more we understand ourselves, I think that the easier it is to connect with others. So it's definitely definitely a process. It's not a linear process. But I wanted to make it known that while each component of DBT is, of course, essential and so helpful, it always tends to circle back to mindfulness and just being very aware of certain things and how to better manage certain emotions and or thoughts, feelings. So it's been very rewarding applying these skills while working with clients because you see the transformation and you see them make progress and you see them come back and and they're appreciative of how they're feeling and what they've learned. So um, I just want to stress just how effective these skills can be. Yeah, I am so grateful that you are sharing this with listeners and it's reaching people all over the world. And I know that before we started, you were like, well, that makes me nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it definitely did. But it's a service. So thank you. Yes, you are welcome. And you are going to start your next group. Can you tell just for local listeners, what your next group is going to be for DBT skills and when it is? So our next group starts April 6th for adults at 6 p.m. and April 7th at 6 p.m. for teens. So we'll have two groups going and each group will last 10 weeks. 
And they will learn these DBT skills? Yes, they will learn all four components of DBT and all the specific skills within each component. And groups are fantastic because you learn from each other. And you see them relate to one another, which is really nice to sit back and see happen. They, they connect with one another in those ways. Um, and it's, it's just a great way for them to feel like they're not alone and that other people are struggling in very similar ways that they are. And they have the opportunity to kind of work with one another to help strengthen and develop certain skills. And uh, the way that people can find these groups is to go to livewellpsychologycenter.com in Sparta. So thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor. And for sharing all of this. Thank you, Alexandra. If you enjoyed this episode of Psychology America with Dr. Alexandra, show your support by leaving an awesome rating on iTunes. If you'd like to share your comments or ideas about this podcast, follow us on Facebook under Psychology America. Lastly, Dr. Alexandra has written an inspiring children's book entitled There's Always Hope, a story about overcoming, which is beautifully illustrated by Brianna Giasulo. There's Always Hope, a story about overcoming, teaches children about finding joy and gratitude even when things don't go exactly as planned and can be found at psychologyamerica.com or amazon.com.